we are about to begin a new series that will last probably for several months. Um, trying to give everybody kind of a basic paradigm of the gospel message and kind of, the, and a, kind of a one-on-one on discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple, to walk with him? And the, at the end of the road here of this class is going to be the opportunity for you to be confirmed. What the, all that means is that it's kind of an ancient Christian tradition of having a moment in your life where you're like, all right, let's make it official, I'm in. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian until you get confirmed, and then after you're, you're confirmed, you are. It's just there's a confirmation. Let's, let's, just, let's, just, let's just make it plain. Let's make it official. For many people, that moment is their baptism. Um, that when you are, you know, the moment you're baptized in Christ, you're, you're making a public declaration of faith. But many of us, and perhaps many of you, uh, were baptized as, a, you know, as an infant, perhaps, and kind of don't feel like you had a whole lot of say in what happened at that moment. Um, and so if you would like to be confirmed, we'll have the opportunity to do that. And again, as preparation for that, we thought it would be good to spend several months just talking about what exactly is it that we think that we believe? What is it that we're saying? And so we're going to kick it off today with a topic that, um, if you'll pardon me a little bit here, this is something that sixth graders should know the answer to. But that I think many, many seminary graduates don't know the answer to. Um, and that, well, that I want each of you to know the answer to. Um, it's, it's basic. It's as basic as it comes. It's very, very fundamental to our faith. And yet it is shockingly undertaught. And I say that, that, that could sound, it, lest that sounds like a really arrogant thing, like I've got some secret knowledge that you don't have. I'd been on staff with Campus Crusade for like 15 years. I was in my 40s before, or 20 years. It was over 20 years of serving full-time as a missionary with the largest mission agency in the world before... I would have been able to answer this question the way that I hope that you'll be able to answer it in about an hour, okay? So um, we've talked about it a little bit here, and so you may, have heard me, you may have heard me address this and give you a paradigm, but I would like you to have in your brain a very clear answer to the following question. Let's see if this thing is working. Ready? Is it working? What is the gospel? Now, when I say that I was on staff with crew for 20 years before I could answer this, I and I didn't know nothing, right? I knew something. I, I had an answer to this. But I didn't have the answer to this question that I would give you today. Okay? So when we talk about what is the gospel, it's, it's big, it's hairy. There is no, I'm not aware of at least, any single passage in the New Testament or old that in one sentence, boom, kind of wraps this all up. And, our, and I think that might contribute to the reasons that there's some vagary about this or something that will have an answer that's perhaps incomplete, doesn't really comprehensively grab the totality of what's going on, okay? So we're going to fill in, we're, we're going to try to build an answer to this question today. And I would love to, you guys, we're gonna, we'll, we'll get a bunch of different items, put them on the table, we'll organize them, we'll sort them around, and we'll see what our final answer is. But I would like you to leave this class today with an answer that's like locked in, crystal clear, no ambiguity, it's comprehensive, it's concise, and you know what the gospel is, okay? So that's where we're going to go. So... The floor is open, and we'll take um, your answer. You could throw out an answer that you think is comprehensive, and that's great. And by the way, if you happen to have been in a conversation with me about this, don't give away the punchline quite yet, okay? We're going wor- to work this out together, okay? So don't be a smarty pants about it. Um, but what's the, but let's, th- let's throw up on the floor here. What's, what's the gospel? What are, what are essential ingredients to this message, what the gospel is? Rita. I think it is the, um, the full details of the long prophesied proof that Jesus is. Okay, so 
what our opening bid is, it's the full details, right? So there's a lot we can shove into that, of this long prophesied message that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay? That's great. So what, what, let's, let's add, a, let's bolt a few things onto this. Yeah, Bill? I think basically the gospel is that we're sinners and we've missed the mark and we need a Savior. Okay. So the gospel is that we are sinners who have missed the mark and we need a Savior. Okay? Let's keep going. A few more things. Yeah, Nicholas. Jesus is Lord. Okay, Jesus is Lord. Okay, and we're going to come to this, all right? So he is Lord, Kyrios, King, Ruler. He reigns over all things. Excellent. Very good. What else? Simply the good news. Okay, so the, literally the word gospel means good, new, good news, or euangelion, or evangelion. So it's good news. What is the good news? Jesus can be your Savior. Okay, that Jesus can be your Savior if you let him. Okay, good. What else? Other in, in essential ingredients to this message of the gospel. Can we agree? Yeah, Bill? God inspired life. Okay, so, yeah, so now this is what's going to be interesting. So now we say there's God-inspired writing. So the gospel, you, I'm not, you, you could go a couple different ways. Do you mean that, are you answering the question, what are the gospels? What are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Or are you saying that the gospel, part of the good news is that God has given us a book? More the second, okay. So, and this, okay, so now when we say what is the gospel, um, it's true that God has given us his word so that we can know what the gospel is. We can know all sorts of things. He's given us all that we need. According to Peter, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of essentially his precious promises that are recorded in this book. So you could say that part of the gospel message is that we're not just left alone to like intuit stuff, but that he's, he's, he's a God of revelation, all right? But the risk of this, if we go down the road, then we can start getting into a very, very unwieldy gospel that it gets lots of different stuff. So we want to be careful about that. Catherine. God provided a way for us to be with him forever. Okay, so God's provided a way for us to be with him forever so that we're not left to be alone or we're not left just in, I don't know, whatever that is, in isolation or in death or whatever that would be. But there's something about we get him he is the prize of the gospel, right? An intimate relationship with him is, is central. This is great. What else? What's the gospel? Key ingredients. Herrick? Truth. Okay. So, again, now, so truth. So the gospel is true, but it's also true that, you know, this is a microphone, right? So when we say the truth, there's a, there's a bit of a question. It's an accurate statement about what, right? It's not just an accurate statement about all things, that would be a little bit too, that would be overbroad. But the gospel is an accurate statement about something. And I think we've, we've hit on a bunch of these things. Okay, Robin? God has provided a way for us to be back in relationship with him. Okay, great. And this is similar to what Catherine. So God has provided a way for us to be back in relationship with him. Okay? And so there was something true, maybe once upon a time, an estrangement has resulted, and that estrangement can be ended uh, the first or second Samuel 14, 14 says um, that God has devised a way so that banished persons may not remain estranged from him. That's a, that's a beautiful little statement. It's David speaking here. He says, or is it David or somebody speaking to David? How does that go? I can't remember. But God has devised a way so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. So excellent. Now there's a couple things. Okay, we get one more shot. Okay, very good, okay? So it's curious. We've been at a long time before. Any, one thing, one really important thing has not been mentioned yet, and its companion is the resurrection. What's the, what do we, I don't think anybody said this one thing. 
Uh, yeah, but there's something else. The crucifixion. Shall we include the cross in our summary of the gospel? Right? Isn't that, I don't, am I, am I mistaken? Did anybody hear anybody say Jesus died? That is, I'm going to go ahead and out on a limb here and say that's essential to our message, right? So the death and resurrection of Jesus. You don't have Jesus' death and you don't have Jesus' resurrection. I would suggest to you, you don't have a gospel, right? This is absolutely going to be essential to the thing. Okay, one or more, a couple more things. Me, key to our message, Fetz. Uh, it's fine. Mark had said uh, Roger was talking back here, so I couldn't hear. Him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the gospel is is Jesus Christ. It's a it's a person. It's everything about who he is and what he did and accomplished. But it's it's who is the gospel? It's Jesus. What is the gospel? It's Jesus. Everything about Jesus. Yeah, okay, and so and Fetzer's not just being cute, although he is cute. I mean, just look at him, right? But um, in, in fact, Jesus is the, he is the end prize. He's the reward at the end of the tunnel. He is the one who procures for us this prize. He is at every step along. If, if we were to have a framework of what is the gospel, there's no aspect of what we have and what, what is good about the good news that's not intimately wrapped into Jesus' life. No Jesus, no gospel. I mean, this would be ludicrous. There's nothing else. There's nothing apart from him. So, excellent. Okay, one or two more. Anything else you're sitting on? Okay. Then here's what we're going to fill this in. And uh, Nick, I'll just ask you to be careful for a second, okay? Because I want there to be a little bit of a self-discovery. Um, and we've discussed these things. Here's the gospel message. It's, it's data. It's information. It's news, right? Gospel literally means good news. And so... There's a message. We show up and somebody says, hey, I have good news. Here's the good news. Okay? There is a particular declaration. Something, and by the way, news is new, right, in its very nature. Something changed. There used to be something that wasn't true, but it is true. There was a circumstance that didn't used to be so, and now it is so. So listen up. I have good news. This is. It didn't used to be, but it is now. There's something thing that this, okay? So the gospel is this message of, hey, check it out, boom. But then, if we understand what the boom is, what's the thing, the what, what's the news, then you might wonder the question, well, how did this come to pass? Like, how did, the, how did this circumstance come about? I understand what you're telling me that this is so, but how did it come to be so? What, what happened that produced this reality? And then the third step is, okay, so what about that? Given that there's thing that's true, and given that it happened by this particular set of circumstances coming to pass, what about that? And that implication is going to have to live in a couple different categories. Like, what does it mean for me? Like, okay, what do I get? Like, if I tell you, hey, great news, you know, we have a million dollars. And you might think, well, how much of that do I get, Right? Like, how does this, whatever. And you might also wonder, well, if I get a third of it or a quarter of it or a twentieth of it, you might want to know the question like, well, how? Like, what do I have to do to get my slice of the pie, right? So, you're underst- if you're going to have a comprehensive framework of the gospel, you've got to have a, a what? What's the news? Then you need to understand, like, how did this come to pass? And then you've got to understand, what are the implications, meaning what are the benefits of and the obligations of this message? You get this by doing this. This is how this thing came to be. But, y'all, this is the heart of the matter. Make sense? Okay, so with that in your brain, what happened, how did it happen, 
what are the implications of my life in terms of benefits and obligations, we want, I want to try to organize your understanding of the gospel message into that framework. Okay? So, stare at the grid. <laughs> Something happened. There's, there's some new fact. It came about through something, and there's implications in my life in terms of obligation and benefit. Let's take anything and throw it on the grid. I'll, I'll, I'll shout things out, okay? Uh, Jesus died on a cross. What is that? Is that, a, is that a what, a how, or a so what? No. It's a how. When Jesus died on a cross, this is producing something, right? It's, a, it, it, it's, it's, it's shaping a reality. It's creating a reality. And there's going to be implications of it. But it was, it's the how. He died on a cross. That's central. What about the, what about the empty tomb? Where's, where's the resurrection fit? Say it again. Uh, you know, it's, it's good. This what box is a tough box, and that's not the answer yet. It's still how. By means of his death and his resurrection, something came to be so. And because it is so, there's a whole bunch of benefits that we get if we will come under the terms of this new covenant. Okay? His death and resurrection are going to be right here under the how. Does that... Can anybody, can anybody want to, yeah, we, can, we can dispute that if you want to like help work that out. And you're totally welcome to do so. Death and resurrection, I'm, I contend that's in the how box. Is that cool? Okay. Catherine? Does salvation come under what? Um, I would say salvation falls into this category of the benefit. What do I get? Okay. I'm telling you, this, 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 this box over here on the right, is that your right? That's your left. Um, this is the, is the weird one. So because he died and rose again, let, let's think about what are the benefits that we get from that. And there's a thousand, but let's give us the top, you know, three, four, five. What do we get because of his death and resurrection? What's that? Eternal life. I mean, and the Bible is going to say over and over again, right, that because we are in Christ, we can cross over from death to life. It's massively significant. You get to live forever. That wasn't... That wasn't going to happen, y'all. That's not a natural state of things. But it is if you're in Christ. Okay, good. What else? Redemption. Redemption. Okay, what do you mean by that? That's a little religious. What does that, unpack that for us. <laughs> we get brought back into relationship and we get forgiveness. Okay, so this is good. So forgiveness is a little more accessible language for us, right? So I get to live forever. All of the culpability of my bad stuff is taken away, and I'm not critiquing redemption, I just think sometimes it can exist and it's like, we don't know what it means, right? So to redeem something, you guys have, anybody wanna have a working definition of what redemption means, what it is? In back. Okay, so it's, it's, it's an economic term, right? To, re, I don't know, you redeem a coupon or you redeem, you know, you're buying this thing. So we have been basically sold into slavery to sin, our natures that we're slaves to sin but we're being brought out of that so redemption imagery probably what is the chief redemption imagery in the old testament and what's but in particular in the old testament exodus right so if you if you recall the egyptian the egyptians had essentially enslaved the israelites and for 400 years they were slaves and then god frees them from that slavery brings them out he redeems them from the land of Egypt, right? And so we were not slaves in Egypt, but we are unquestioningly slaves to sin, and that gets to end. We don't need to persist in a state of slavery to sin. So we're forgiven. We're set free from slavery to sin. We get to live forever. 
Anything else that you want to list? And there's a bunch, but anything else in your, you know, your top five list of benefits we have in the gospel? Good stuff in our lives? Dan? Oh, just, we get the Holy Spirit. Massive. Right? It's not, the gospel is not just about, hey, later when you're dead, there's stuff. Right? It's not that. It's that right now, in this very moment, the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, comes to live in us. This is underappreciated, I think, as a, as a general rule. That he comes to live in us, to move us, to follow his decrees and laws, to give us power and direction, to be the people he wants us to be, to give us comfort. The Holy Spirit is, is a comfort. There's all sorts of stuff. So forgiveness of sin, eternal life, redemption, freedom from slavery, uh, the, the impartation of his spirit to live within us. Not, not a bad list. Cat. Instruction. Okay, so, and so again, also through the Holy Spirit, right? He doesn't leave us alone, like just in our state of oblivion, but he actually reveals things to us, whether it's directly through the Spirit or through the Word, Bill, right? So there's all these benefits that we get. Okay, anything else? Healing. Okay, so sure. So he who heals all your diseases, there's, this, there's a kindness that he moves towards us in our sadness and in our brokenness. We, we remain in a broken world, but we're not alone in it. And very often, he actually rolls back the the painfulness of being a broken person in a broken world. This is not to be under underappreciated. Brad? Mission and purpose. Okay, so we are given not just, hey, well, you know, good for this, go sit on the sidelines, but one of the implications is we get to take the field, right? We get to go do things, and not just things, we get to do things that will matter in a billion years, that your life is imbued with, with meaning and significance in him. Not, and it's not just that you will live forever, but that the works that you do, even in this temporary place, can echo in all eternity. That's huge. Okay, not bad. Okay, so there's some, we haven't gotten to the something that, ha- some, some new circumstance that's true. We'll get there. However it happened, though, it was through Jesus' death and resurrection. And as a result, we have all these benefits, all these good things that we, that we can get. Some, one other thing under the implications, though, and that is like, well, so how does one obtain this? If Jesus died and rose from the dead in order to give me forgiveness and eternal life and give me his spirit and all that kind of stuff, how do I become a partaker of it? What is, our, what is this gospel good news? The message is you have to climb a mountain and pick a rare flower, right? And then all of these things would flow, okay? That would be less good news if that was the answer. So what is the good news about all of this bonanza that is ours? Kelly. Well, in your opening question about what is the gospel, I don't think anybody's like received by faith. I don't think so either. It's funny the things that we, that we mentioned that we, and the things that we didn't mention. So that all of this, the key that unlocks this is not by punctilious moralistic obedience to a set of precepts. Right? It's not. It is, it's a gift received by grace through faith. Is that a how? Um, that's under the so what. So and, and it, it'll all come together. It's not one, the implica- so the implications... Jennifer, the implications are twofold. What are the benefits that I get and what are the obligations of it? How do I get all this good stuff? And the answer is by faith, through, by, by grace, through faith. Isn't, isn't that that's a, how? a how? That's a how. That's over here. That, no, that's a so what. That's a so what. Get the benefit is your faith. Your faith. So isn't that No. Receive grace. I yeah. Or any of those benefits. No, it's still, it's still. So here, so here's the thing. So we, 
So the how is not how we get the benefits. The how is how did the circumstance come to be? I'm going to show you this in a second. And I'm leaving this blank on purpose because there's something here that's surprising that you need to understand. I'm, I'm saving that for the end. So it's not how do I get it. It's how did this circumstance come to be? And it's not by your faith. How you get it, the implication in your life is that it's all yours and all you have to do is believe. Okay? That's the obligation of the gospel. Okay? Just trust me. It's going to make sense by the time we're done. So stay with me. It really, it really will. Okay? So something happened that we don't know yet what it is. It happened because Jesus died and rose again. And therefore, you get all this good stuff by faith, by trusting in him. Okay, there was a hand. Robin. So the what is the, the gift of God, the grace? Well, this left, this first, the first column? Nope. Just stay in, stay in a state of tension. We'll get there. It's coming. <laughs> I know. It's going to be beautiful. That's, uh, we're, this, is a bit, this is the big reveal. It's coming. Okay? So something happened. Nobody has any idea what it is. But it happened because Jesus went to a cross, died for us, and rose again. And therefore, we get a whole bunch of good stuff. Forgiveness, eternal life, the spirit of God, intimacy with him. And all we have to do is repent and believe. Holy moly. Now, so far so good? You with me? I know that you're like, well, no, I'm not good at all because I don't know what that column is. Okay? Here's the thing. If I didn't tell you, I want you to look at this. If I had not told you that we were missing anything, my suspicion is you'd all be very, very happy. That you would say the gospel is Jesus died and rose again. Therefore, I can have my sins forgiven, live forever, and all I got to do is believe. And we, we all go home happy. And I specifically want you to be unhappy. Okay? So this is why we're doing it this way. Because generally speaking, our sixth graders get column two and they get column three. Our seminary professors get column two and they get column three. But they are missing, we are missing column one and I want you to have a sense of what the heck is column one then shut up about it and just tell us the answer okay you want to know what the answer is for column one it's this well we got all this you still don't get the answer that's all I gotta go we're done (laughs) this is what we've been saying right his sin atoning death on a cross his death defeating resurrection that this is how it happens what we get is forgiveness eternal life relationship the Holy Spirit all this stuff changes because we receive this by grace through repentance and faith awesome we're still missing this first column. Nicholas? Well, you already know. So what is it? Uh, no, you do know. You don't know. You d- I thought you knew. Here it is. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The missing part of our story. You guys, listen to this. This is world-shattering gargantuan news. Jesus is king. And I could even improve upon this. Do you know how we can improve upon that statement? I could say, if I had more space and I wasn't so font size happy, I could say this. Jesus became king. He wasn't always king. But Jesus became king. And that is the greatest thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. The good news The proclamation that should cause everybody to rejoice is that we have a new and a wonderful king. This world has been usurped. It has been taken over by this malicious, evil tyrant who hates God and hates you. But he has been defeated. Because he has been defeated, 
and we have a new king, there is a new kingdom, and there's so much goodness. This is the gospel. That Jesus has become king, curios, Lord, ruler of all things. This is now his world. This world had been stolen by this evil monster. And he had to be defeated. He needed to be cast down. He needed to be thrown out. How do you do that? How do you defeat the devil of hell? Well, apparently, you surrender your life to death. That on the cross, there was an awful lot of stuff going on. So much stuff going on. One thing that we tend to be pretty well aware of is that on the cross, Jesus was absorbing into himself the penalty for all of our sin. And praise the name, amen. This is exceptional good, right? It was, an, it was a sin atoning death. All of my badness was credited to Jesus. And all of his goodness was credited to me. And this is absolutely central to every good thing in my life and every good thing in your life. But as magnificent and marvelous and rich and mind-blowing and sufficient as that would be, it's not all that was going on. For his cross, his death, was also a defeat of the hostile powers of evil that had taken over this world. And when he did that, when he went to the cross, he atoned for all of my sin. He took all of my badness onto him. We call this doctrine penal substitutionary atonement. That the penalty, the penal, the penalty of my sin was substituted. He, he became a substitute for it. He took my badness. Holy moly, it's massive, it's great, it's good. But it's not all that was happening. And we tend to be relatively ignorant of the fact that he was also stomping on the snake from the garden. Do you recall this? In the very, very beginning, the first hint of the gospel, right? We call it the proto-euangelion, the proto-gospel, the earliest hint of how this thing is going to play out. It's in, look at it. Go to Genesis 3. We're going to build our gospel painting. Let's go to the very, very start of the story. In Genesis chapter 3, as God is beginning to contend with the, the result of the fall, he's speaking to, the, to, he has a conversation with Adam and with Eve and with the snake, with this ancient serpent who led the whole world astray. And he says to the snake in verse 15, Genesis 3, 15, I will put enmity, that is just his natural, you know, hatred and, and uh, disagreement. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. That The word there is seed. Women don't have seeds. Between your seed and her seed. And he, the seed of the woman, this one who will come, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That is the first clue, the first hint that something is going to happen. And this woman is going to bring forth a man who will destroy the snake. But in the process, he himself will be killed. The same word. Some, some translation says crush and bruise. It's silly because it's literally the exact same Hebrew word. That in the moment of Jesus dying, Satan himself was destroyed. Something happens here. And that thing that had to happen, that this tyrant who was taking over the world, he needed to be cast down. Now, lest you, in case you're like, well, I've never heard that before. It's all over the place, so just take a look. So uh, let's do this. So Jesus came. We, we, we covered all this. What are all my slides doing here? Uh, this. Watch this. If the idea that Jesus becomes king, you're like, wait a minute. Isn't he always king? I thought he was God. Is he, has he always been God? What's the answer? Has Jesus always been God? Yes. Are you sure? 
Yeah, it's absolutely true. Yeah, so good job. Okay. Has he always been king? No. No. Well, hang on a second. Isn't God king? How does that work? Listen to this. God the, God the Father has never... Okay. God has always ruled the cosmos. Everything that happens, happens under him. Okay. We're not denying the absolute sovereignty of God the Father over all things. However, this little realm of this planet, this place, the throne was usurped. And it has not been ruled over by a human being. Or it is now, but it wasn't for quite some time. There was, however, a moment in time, a snapshot time. A, 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 it wasn't now, and now it is. This transitioning period where the kingdom of this world was granted to somebody. And we get to watch it happen. There's a video camera running in the throne room of God when the, when the kingship is handed off. It, it's, it's mentioned many, many times, never so vividly as Daniel 7. Listen to Daniel 7. It says, as I looked, thrones were set in place. In the ancient of days, that's the father, took a seat. And his clothing was as white as snow. And the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. And his wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. This is glory, all right? You think like the, you know, like the Academy Awards are glorious? What a joke. This is a hundred million angels extolling his praise. There's a river of fire. This is super serious big time, okay? And in this moment here of unimaginable glory of supernatural beings, Daniel sees this. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. What does that phrase mean? Messiah. No. It's going to be the Messiah, but no. That's not what the phrase means. What does the phrase mean? What is it? A human being, some ordinary looking dude. Like this is, you guys, there's gajillion angels. There's God the Father. There's everything that's super crazy. And in strolls some daughter, uh, some son of Eve. Some like normal person. Somebody's like 5'8", right? Rolls in, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days. Who on earth would have the, the audacity to walk in the human, can you imagine if we transported you there? You would not approach the throne. I'd, you would hit the ground. This guy walks in and approaches the Ancient of Days and is led into his presence. And he was given. Holy moly. Everything. It's handed over to him. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, all of them, every nation, men of every language would worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is the greatest, the most significant thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. That to a human being is granted everything. It's his. It's his to own. It's his to reign. It's his to rule. He, became, he wasn't, it wasn't his five minutes before this happened, but it's his now. It was given to him. It's all his. And this is the good news. All right, let's keep going. Matthew 28, do you ever notice that Jesus says this? We've quoted the Great Commission 10,000 times. Do you know it? All authority in heaven and earth has always been mine. 
It was given to me. What? When? Just the other day. This is, this is, this is post-resurrection. This is post-crucifixion. After the crucifixion, after the resurrection, Jesus rolls up with the boys and says, all right, it's all mine. And here's what I want you to do. Fill the earth with people that know it's mine. Go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father. I'll always be with you. But it's all been given to me. This is new. This is the news. This is the good news. This is the exceptional news. For we have spent far too long under the unholy rule of a malicious tyrant. But he has been defeated. And Jesus is king. That's the good news. Okay? What else we got? Luke 4. Okay, so check it out. This is pre-cross, pre-resurrection. The devil takes Jesus into the wilderness. Well, Jesus goes into the wilderness, and there the devil meets him. And he says, he takes him up to a place, and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil says to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it'll all be yours. Okay, now you've got to be careful building your theology on things that the devil says, because he's a liar. All right? It wasn't given to him. He's lying. But he did take it. He did take it. Right? The best way to lie is to mix it in with the truth. And he is offering, he says, listen, hey, here, it's all yours. Take it. And here's the deal. You know, I'm not going to crucify you. The Father's offering Jesus the kingdom at the cost of the cross. Satan is offering the kingdom. You know, all you got to do is worship me. Just do that. And Jesus says no. But this is the, this is the end, is that he could become the king under Satan. Because Satan had stolen the kingdom. And Jesus is like, yeah, you know what? I'm not doing it that way. We're going to obey the Father. I'll, the kingdom will be mine. It's just going to come through a horrifically brutal process. But it's going to be his. Okay, Kelly? I feel like in your middle column, with the how, and this is just a small thing, but I feel like, uh, you don't have to look back, babe. In the how, it ought to be his sin atoning death on a cross by his obedience to the Father. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he had to obey the Father, and it was the Father's will to crush him. And he submitted to it and made it. So I feel like something else is going to happen. Yeah. Okay, so in case you couldn't hear, so Kelly is, Kelly's pointing out that up here, where his sin atoning death on a cross, and it, it's hard to think, okay, what, what makes the final cut? There's a lot of stuff that we leave on the, cut, you know, on, the, on the floor. But Kelly is advocating that up here we should say through his sin atoning death on the cross in obedience to the Father, something like that. Okay, and that's good. We, we can, I can agree with that. That what, 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 especially in contrast to this passage in Luke 4, that what is happening is that he bends the knee. And I've, I've quoted before, Tim Keller um, has this beautiful little phrase that he turns. He says, um, God told Adam and Eve, obey me about the tree and you will live. And they didn't do it. And he says to the son, obey me about the tree and I will crush you to powder. And he does it. That Jesus' obedience to the Father is unhindered by anything, by any suffering. So whatever, by whatever means, he will do what the Father wants him to do. So yes. So by his sin atoning, death on the cross, um, and in obedience to the Father, to the defeat of Satan. All of these things are, are all true. And, we, and there's probably more things we could add in besides. But yes, so that's great. Okay. So where are we at? Luke 4. All right. So he had it. The Satan had stolen it. And he's offering it to Jesus. Jesus is like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do it that way. And instead he's going to take the cross. He's still going to become king. It's still going to become his kingdom. But in obedience to the Father. Okay, now look, look at this. This is kind of weird. 
Jesus, check this out. This is Colossians. Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Do you hear this framing of like old kingdom, new kingdom? What's glorious about Jesus, he's the king. But he's the king of a brand new kingdom that's driving out the old and ushering in. He's ushering in a new. This is massive news. He goes on to say later on in the book that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. How did he do it, you guys? What was the, what was the, what was the stomp on the neck, of the, the neck of the snake? What did he do to destroy Satan? It, it was on the cross. The cross was the event whereby the old ruler was thrown down. There's a lot going on. We're, again, we're very conscious, and you should be. I, don't, I would have no wish to drive out of your mind your awareness of Jesus' sin-atoning death. Amen. Meditate on it. Build your life on it. But it wasn't the only thing going on there. He was on the cross defeating the hostile powers that had taken over the world. Jennifer. I was struck by the word domain, and I just looked it up. Yeah. Because I don't think Satan ever had it, the authority to give it to anybody else. So, you know, it's a lie, too. Domain means you have control, influence, or rights. It doesn't say ownership. Oh, yeah. So it was, it was always illegitimate. Absolutely, it's always illegitimate. And so when he says it has been given to me, like, he's lying. He's what he does. But, you, but though it was illegitimate, it was nevertheless an efficacious rule. Right, which is why John says the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And if you if you look up, it's interesting. If we if we were to play a game and say what's true of Satan, like what are the things going on with him, and we were to say, well, he's a liar. Well, he's a you know he's a deceiver. He's an accuser. We come up with a big long list, right? But the number one thing, the most the most frequent title ascribed to Satan is, do you know? Serpent. Uh, not serpent. That, that that is the image that is used to to depict him. Absolutely, many times, it is that he is a He's a ruler. He's the prince. Jesus calls him the prince of this age. He's called the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit is now working those who are disobedient. Um, John says the whole world's under the control of him. He is, he is seen, um, Ephesians 6, if you guys know it, you know your Ephesians 6 spiritual armor stuff. Um, if you see uh, Ephesians 2, I mean over and over and over again, Satan is described in, in terms of power, of exercising authority. He's evil. It was illegitimate. But, but it's, it's happening, nevertheless. Yeah, Brad? So we, we're playing word games, but did, did, were Adam and Eve given, because they were created in the image of God, did he not give them dominion over the world of creation? Absolutely. Did not then give it to him by their disobedience? Uh, Okay, so yes, yeah, so then this is, by the way, the, the plan all along, what, what, what Brad is getting into, the plan all along was that the world would be ruled by humans. That's why it's, it's, it's all, it's the first three chapters of Genesis are the, are the laying out of this, right? That we were meant to be the vicars, the viceroys, the ones who run the world that God has made. And so that's why Jesus gives, this, the, the um, Genesis 1 account is full of language of authority, rule over creation, right? That's what we're supposed to do. But whether you say that we gave it to him, or gave it to Satan, or Satan took it from us. If, if, if we gave it to him, we gave it to him unwittingly, right? Uh, yes, sure, but maybe not. Uh, so I don't know. That, that might be true, but, but um, certainly it wasn't 
I don't, well, I don't know what Adam and Eve meant to do. I, I doubt that they understood the implications of the decisions that they were making. But it is certainly the case that by our participation in sin, Satan usurped the kingdom. That's absolutely true. And maybe we could, maybe with enough time we could fine-tune that. But something not great was going on in that moment, you know. And, and, he, and so if Satan simply means authority was given to me by humans then maybe I could grant that. I've always read it, and maybe I'm imagining because it's not in the text, that he was saying it was given to me by God, and that I would strongly disagree. But you're right, it doesn't, he doesn't clarify the source of his supposed power. Okay, so here we are, right? So Jesus became king. How did he become king? He had to defeat the old ruler. Satan is never called king, by the way, which is interesting. That dignity is denied him. He's called prince. He's called ruler, um, but he's never given the title of king. So we want to maybe be careful not to do so ourselves. Here's Colossians 2, triumphing over them by the cross. We said that. Philippians 2. I'll give you one more example of this. Philippians 2 is one of these most glorious pictures of what's going on in the gospel. And I want you to follow the logic of it, okay? Hear the cause effect of what's going on on the cross. Check this out. It says, Jesus took the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, Therefore, you see the change? Because he's obedient to death on a cross, is the way Kelly was framing it, God exalts him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Do you understand the relationship? He goes to a cross. He dies for us, atoning for our sin, defeating Satan, and therefore, boom, he's given the name of king. That's why God exalts him to the highest name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that... Jesus is Lord. He's curious. He's king. He reigns over all things. This is the gospel. This is the good news to the glory of God the Father. We see it again in Romans 14. For this very reason, Christ died and rose again. Why? <coughs> so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. This is the good news. And this is the thing that's strange. This column is very often missing from our consciousness. We don't talk about it. Yeah, yeah, Jesus died and rose again. Praise the name, right? Amazing. Therefore, sin is forgiven and eternal life is granted. The Spirit is imparted. And all we have to do is repent and trust. Woohoo! But what makes all of these things magnificent is that Jesus is king. It is a new king, a new ruler that doesn't hate us. Catherine. Um, what Kelly said about obedience makes me re reminds me of how people often say to me, I can't believe any God that's going to kill a son. And, you know, I mean, it just disgusts. And, and what she said, it is like, no, he didn't. Jesus. Well, he was voluntarily complicit to the Father. Yeah, and he and absolutely was. So it was the Father's will to crush the Son, but it was the Son's pleasure to give the Father anything he wanted. He's absolutely subordinated to him, for sure. Fetzer? Is there a moment... Where that happens, is it when he takes his last breath? Is it when he rises from the dead uh, and the tomb is empty? When, when is the kingship, does it matter? Um, I mean, it, it might matter, but there's a lot of things that matter that I don't know. I, I, I would say um, it's, it is in his death and resurrection. So... Those things, the, both of those things... Yes, I think, I think that we, I think, I think, I, I would not be comfortable being more theologically precise, um, or, or I would not attempt greater precision than what is clear to me, which is that it's his death and resurrection. Now, it might be, 
his death, and then his ascension is that the resurrection is a sign of his of his coronation. But it's also on the cross, like he's being coordinated, it seems, on the cross. So they're mocking him and spitting on him, giving him a crown of thorns. I think that crown of thorns was not merely a mockery, but was in fact his crown, his crown of coronation, I think. Nick, do you want to bring greater clarity to that? Yeah, like, um, in John 13 on Monday, Thursday, when he washes his disciples' feet, uh, it talks about how this year, uh, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that had come from God, was returning to God. So we got it. I mean, so I think at some point before, although I agree, you know, I love the imaging of the crown of like his coronation, you know, the crown of thorns, and all of that. I think something, the transfer of power ever had happened just before that. And then the death in, in, uh, was in sort of like the ceremony. Yeah, and so again, this, this, I'm, that might be so. I'm not, I just don't know that I can be more precise. It's a little bit like saying, like, when did Tara become a bride? Was it when you proposed to her the morning of the wedding at the altar when you kissed her? I don't know what it was, but like, but so the, there's just like, when did that, ha- you know, how does exactly, what's the moment at which it's fair to call her a bride? I don't know, but she is your wife, so that's good news, and you're welcome to kiss her. So, okay. Michael? <laughs> okay, so when Jesus says, famously, the Greek word is tetelestai. When Jesus says it is finished, tetelestai, um, I think that what we would say there is what is finished is the, is the atonement for sin, two things chiefly, the atonement for sin, the price has been paid, and the defeat of Satan. I think, those, I think that is what, that was the mission, that was the task. Um, sin is atoned for. The debt is paid, and the, and, and the snake has been stomped on. I think that's ideal. Okay, so we're almost out of time. So let me see. What else do I want to tell you? Uh, yeah, okay, so here it is. Just a recap. What's the gospel? Jesus. Jesus. And maybe you want to say Jesus became king. Either way. Right? He's king. How does he become king? Well, he was exalted to this throne through his atonement for sin, his defeat of Satan, in obedience to the Father, Kelly, on the cross, when he rose from the dead, is the exalted Lord. That's how it happened. So what? Well, we get to leave the old kingdom. That was dreadful. All right, we learned how to live there. We came up with strategies to make it work, but they're crummy strategies. They're going to end up, you don't have to do that anymore. Leave the old kingdom, come into this new kingdom, and we get forgiveness and eternal life, and we get God himself, among other things. How do we obtain this? How does this thing that was purchased become mine? It's real simple by faith, right? It's a gift received by faith as we repent. And by the way, repentance is nothing other than, it's like, I don't want to be in the old kingdom anymore. That worked for me for a while, but I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to leave the old and come into the new. That's the gospel. This may be repetitive, but you are saying that Jesus was not king before he died. I am. Yep, that's what I'm saying. He was God. Eternally God. Yep. I know, it's just jarring, isn't it? Yeah. So we'll give, we'll give that a second, and then you have to go to church. So Jesus is divine. He has always been divine. He, was, he didn't come into being in Jerusalem or, or Bethlehem. Get, you, get it right. He didn't come into being in Bethlehem, right? He is from, he, from ancient days. He is eternally old. Co-eternal with the Father. Co-equal to the Father in glory and essence. All of that is true. 
but the office of who is in charge of this planet um, was the original plan. It would be ruled by human beings. And the human beings were really dreadful at it. A snake came in and stole it. And whatever rule of humans we had for centuries was tinged and tainted by this demonic force. And so finally, God became a human being to be the human being that could finally rule the world in righteousness. And that was, that's exactly what Jesus did. So, but he's always been God. This is in no way, shape, or form, would I, am I or would I ever diminish his full deity from all of eternity? But the office of, a, of rulership that was promised to a human being has finally been fulfilled in Jesus, which is good news, and it sets everything else in motion. Okay? So, I'll let you chew on that, ponder that. Email me, tim at uh, chsroanoke.com. Be happy to talk about that with you. But this is the foundational thing. All right, got it? Clears the bell? All right. Go to church. We'll see you.